Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. In 1948, there was a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he wrote in his journal, and now, with God's help, I'm becoming myself. That's your journey. That's my journey. See, here's what I know about you and me, is that deep down inside, there is a me I was created to be. A life that I was born to live, a story that I was meant to tell, a difference I was made to create. The problem is, as I journey my way through life, I constantly come up against this surface level experience. On the surface of my life, on the surface of your life, is something called the false self. The, the false self is like a blister. It's like a callus created by the abrasion of life in this difficult world. The, the false self comes through trauma and pain and suffering. The, the false self comes through guilt, regret. It comes through the difficulty, the abrasive nature of life on this planet. And so our entire lives are spent trying to get past the false self and discover and live out of my true self. Now, I bring that up because we're on a journey through the gospel of John as a church. And we've arrived at John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is actually the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire Bible. It's really interesting, you know, because prayer is important on all different levels. Here's one. Prayer brings us past the surface, past the superficial, into the spiritual. Maybe I could say that a different way. Prayer moves us past the false self and into the true self. It's really important to note that. That as I journey my way through life, I need to get past the false and take hold of the true. One of the ways I do that is through prayer. And so what we decided to do is we decided to park on John chapter 17 for a few weeks and learn to pray from the best example I can think of. We're learning to pray from the example of Jesus. So two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus prayed for himself, just like you and I ought to pray for ourselves. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus prayed for his disciples. Today, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus actually prayed for you and prayed for me. See, because if I settle for life on the surface, if I settle for a life lived according to my false self, what I'm actually doing is I'm settling for a shadow of the life that I was meant to live. I'm settling for just a fraction of the story that I was meant to tell. So let's jump in today in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for them, he's referring to his disciples there, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. That's us. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush as he prays for you and he prays for me. Over and over and over again, he prays for unity, 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 and unity. Which is really interesting if you think about it, because you start off saying that we're on this journey, right? And that God created a life for you to live, a difference for you to make, a story that you were meant to tell. And the journey through life is discovering that, stepping into that. And yet Jesus' prayer is all about unity. As if to suggest this, for me to actually become myself, we, we, we need to come together. For you to become you, the you you were created to be, we need to come together. We need each other. We come together as we're becoming ourselves. In other words, instead of praying for you for health and wealth and convenient parking, Jesus prayed for unity. Knowing that it was only together that we could become ourselves. So the church is a big deal. The church matters. And out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for the church, he didn't pray for great preaching. He didn't pray for amazing singing. He didn't pray for hospitality. He didn't pray for care. All those things are important. Out of anything, out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for the church, he prayed for unity. Obviously, the stakes are high. And the truth is, when the stakes are high, resistance is always fierce. I can prove that easily. Walk around the Western world. Ask people, hey, give me one word to describe the church. You know one word you will not get? Unity. You just won't. And yet that's the prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me and for us. For us to become ourselves individually, we together as a church must become ourselves. Unity. So what I want to do is I want to jump ahead a little bit in the Bible to the New Testament book of Ephesians. God inspired a guy named the Apostle Paul to write a letter to a church he had planted in a city called Ephesus. And he wrote about unity. So I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. God inspired Paul to write this. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. On the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism. If I'm going to become myself, go on this journey, pass the false self into the true self, 
we all need to come together. If you're gonna become yourself, we need to come together. The stakes are really high, and yet the resistance is incredibly fierce. So how do we come together? How do we pursue unity? Well, I wanna talk about this passage in Ephesians 4, and I wanna suggest four things. Four things if we're gonna come together so we can become ourselves. Number one, we need a mission. We need a mission. It's August 20th today. August 20th. Just a few weeks away from what many parents refer to as the most wonderful time of the year. Back to school, right? Back to school. And and one of the reasons why you'll hear a lot of parents suggest that back to school is the most wonderful time of the year is the longer that summer break goes, the more hairy things can become at home. And if you have more than one sibling, one of the things you might notice is that as the break drags on, all of a sudden, uh, the fighting escalates. The arguments increase, right? And so often you'll have a parent, maybe you've heard a parent say this before, they'll walk into a room where you have a brother and a sister or two brothers or two sisters, whatever, having a big fight, and they'll say, obviously, you guys have too much time on your hands. Maybe you've said that, you got too much time on your hands. If you find a church that is marked by division, you can guarantee one thing, they have too much time on their hands. Guaranteed. They need a mission. Paul says it this way, hey, walk. Better yet, run. Run, run the road. Don't sit on your hands, run. Run this race that you've been given. Pursue your mission. The mission that God has given us at Southside Church, we talked about this before, is that we would radically alter the course of human history and the fabric of eternity by telling people about Jesus through the words that we speak and the lives that we live. Believing that his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation will draw out of them everything they were created to be today, tomorrow, and forever. That's our mission. It's pretty big. Radically alter the course of human history and the fabric of eternity by telling people about Jesus, by the lives that we live and the words that we speak, and watching him transform them. See, when you got a big mission, you don't have a lot of time to fight. Many of you probably have a favorite, favorite hockey team. A favorite hockey team. And if you have a favorite hockey team, you probably have like a less than favorite hockey team, okay? So, so if there's a team that you really cheer for, that you really like, there's probably another team out there that you dislike. More specifically, there's probably players out there that you really don't like, okay? Like there, there's certain players that play on other teams and you look at them and you're just like, ah, that guy annoys me. I just wish someone would punch him in the head, you know? If you're from outside of Canada watching this, I'm sorry, we like hockey, it's super violent, okay? So anyways, I just want someone to punch that guy in the head. It's weird, though, because you can have someone on another team that you really don't like, that really annoys you, that you really wish someone would punch him in the head, and then one morning you wake up and you check your news feed, and guess what happened? He got traded to your team. He signed with your team. And suddenly everything changes, you know? 
I was trying to think of an example of that. I was gonna say like Connor McDavid, but I know you all love Connor McDavid so much, so I wouldn't bring him up. So let's use Austin Matthews, right, from the Toronto Maple Leafs, very punchable, okay? So, so I want you to imagine, right, that, that, you, that, that you wake up one day and you see Austin Matthews signed with my team. This is what you would find yourself saying over the next several days. You know what, I gotta tell you something. That Austin Matthews, he's really starting to grow on me, you know? I used to think he was a jerk, but I, I really just think he's misunderstood. He's actually a really awesome guy. I like Austin Matthews. Isn't that interesting? Something as simple as the pursuit of a Stanley Cup can bring people together. Surely, surely a mission the size of the one that God has given us would draw us together rather than allow us to come apart. Unity, unity. For me to become myself, for you to become yourself, we, we need to come together. How do we do that? Number one, you need a mission. Number two, you need to be humble. You need to be humble. Anytime you find division, you'll always find pride. There is a person or a group of persons that are saying something like this, I'm smart and you're stupid, okay? I'm right and you are wrong, and I'm gonna tell you all about it. And yet Jesus says this, hey, just, be, hey, just before, just before you pick the speck out of his eye, out of her eye, just get the plank out of your eye. How does that sound? Be humble. You could be wrong. It's funny, the older that you get, the more that you figure this out, right? You look back at your life and you realize that you believe things that were actually wrong. Like there was a time in your life, if you're a little bit older, that you actually thought this guy here was like the coolest guy in the world, right? There was a time that you thought this hairstyle was the absolute best. And ma'am, I see you still think so, and I apologize, we all think it's great. Okay, but looking back now, right, you might, you might, you might look back and go, actually, I was wrong. So take a breath, take a breath, take a breath, and realize that in this moment, you might be wrong again. So how do we become ourselves by coming together? Well, number one, gotta be on mission. Number two, gotta be humble. Number three, we need to love. Paul said it this way, pour yourself out in acts of love. I like that, I like that because it's intentional. It gets rid of this notion that says, I, I need to feel love. No, love is actually an action. And if you act out in love, eventually the feelings will follow. When I was coaching basketball, if I had a young man who either before or after practice was on the phone with his mom and really, really rude to his mom, I would always come up to that kid and I would say, hey man, you need to call your mom back. God would be like, why? Just talk to her. Oh no, you just need to call her. Why? Well, do you love her? Well, she's my mom, yeah, of course I love her. Oh, okay, well then phone her and tell her that you love her. Additionally, tell her that you're sorry for talking to her like a jerk a couple minutes ago. And maybe say thank you for all the things that she does for you. And I remember I would have some people that would come to me during those years and say, oh, Mike, you're a basketball coach. 
What does a kid talking to his mom have to do with basketball? Stay in your lane. And I would answer them by saying, yes, I'm a basketball coach who wants to coach a good basketball team. And in order to be good, you need unity. You need love. And here's what I notice about life. You can't really compartmentalize. You know what I mean? Like you can't be a selfish jerk, mean in one area of your life, and then in another area of your life, just be really unified and loving and great. Well, actually, you can. You actually can. Until life gets hard. And then if you've been living out of the false self and you've been a jerk, it's going to come out. And the challenge when you're doing something as simple as coaching a basketball team, if you got high goals, you know one thing you know for sure, eventually you're gonna face adversity. You're gonna face tough times. And in that moment, in that moment, you know what I want? I want a team full of guys who are nice to their mom. Because when we're down 10 with two minutes left, I think we need a team full of guys who are nice to each other and come together rather than pull apart. So how do I become myself? How do you become yourself as we come together? Well, number one, you need a mission. You need to be humble. You need to love. And fourthly and finally, you need to be alert. You need to be alert. Bible says be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Division is demonic. Let me explain. Division is demonic. The first example of division in history happened in heaven. There was an angel named Lucifer, and he decided he didn't want to worship God. He wanted to become God. So he wanted to overthrow God. Lucifer recruited one-third of the angels in heaven, and he launched a rebellion against God. He divided heaven. <laughs> now, Lucifer and his Rebel angels were defeated. Now we know them as the devil and his demons. They were defeated. They were cast down. Their defeat is final, but it's not, or sorry, their defeat is certain, but it's not yet complete. In the meantime, the devil and his demons seek to destroy. How? Division. Specifically, you talk about the North American church, the number one way the devil goes after the North American church is division. The number one way the devil looks to destroy North American churches is through division. And some of you might look at me right now and go, well, Mike, come on. There's some things that we should be willing to stand on, you know? Be firm on. And I could not agree more. I completely agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, died, rose again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We stand on that. No matter what. And yet, you know what's crazy? In North American churches, a vast, 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 vast majority of division doesn't come from central issues like that. It comes from whether back combed bangs are actually cool or not. Whether the mullet is actually making a comeback. Which I'm kind of curious about, actually. Uh, how many people think mullets are cool? Hands up, hands up. Mullets are cool? 
Wow, way more mullet friendly in the first service, okay. And how many people say that mullets are not cool? Not cool, mullets are not cool. Okay, okay, you know what we're not gonna do? We're not gonna divide over that. If you think mullets aren't cool, you're wrong, but you're allowed to be wrong, okay? <laughs> you say, oh, Mike, come on, mullets? Yeah, yeah, listen, listen. Multiple, multiple North American churches have divided over issues not much bigger than that. For example, the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. Look down. See carpet? That's why. Okay, so. Up in the risers, you're like, yeah, there is carpet. Okay, I was talking to them, all right? I get it. Here's the thing. If you talk to any of those people who divided their church, you split their church in the middle of it, in the middle of the fight over the color of carpet, and you said to them, what's going on? Listen, this is what they wouldn't say. They wouldn't say this. Yeah, I, 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 I know it's dumb. Like, who cares about the color of carpet? I just, like, I just decided it'd be kind of funny. Just tear the church apart. No, be alert, be alert, be alert. God inspires Paul to say, be alert, be alert. There's gonna be moments when a, they did not think that was a peripheral issue, you get it? They did not think, they actually believed that the color of the carpet of the sanctuary was a central issue worth dividing over. Be alert, be alert, be alert. God inspires Paul to say be alert because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He wants to destroy churches and the way he does it in North America primarily is through division. I bring that up partly because I'm gonna talk about what's been going on at this church, at us. We, the people, Southside, right? We set a goal heading into 2023 that we would just continue to increase in numbers because we know that every number has a name, every name has a story, every story matters to God, that's why. And we have seen that like insanely. Every single week we see another attendance record. Last week, Sunday, was August 13th, summer Sunday. The projected high temperature last Sunday was 35 degrees Celsius. If you're in the United States of America, that means something in Fahrenheit, okay? So, <laughs> traditionally though, traditionally, not a heavily attended Sunday. 35 degree summer Sundays, not a heavily attended Sunday. And yet, last week, we had 1,309 people at church. I say that only to say this, that nine months ago, 1,309 people at church would have been an all-time attendance record at Southside Church on a summer Sunday. Now, if you don't count Christmas and Easter, it would have been a record, okay? Hundreds of people have committed their lives to Jesus at Southside this year. At the end of today, we're gonna see that almost 150 people, maybe more, depending on whether you decide to step up and get baptized today, but I'll talk to, about that a little bit later, okay? almost 150 people are gonna have been baptized over the last three months at Southside Church. Just so you know, that's not normal. It's just not. God's up to something at this church, and therefore, I would wanna say to you, I would wanna say to me right now, be alert. Be alert. Here comes the devil. He wants to destroy. How will he destroy? He will destroy through division. We try to make it easy at Southside Church. 
You know that if you're looking to get mad, you usually you can just keep it simple. It's just usually me, okay? And, and one of the reasons why the, 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 you might get mad at Southside is because we decided a few years ago, what we're gonna do is we're gonna preach, preach through books of the Bible. Now the challenge about that though is you arrive on passages that hit on one of the three big issues that frost people's flakes, okay? Money, sex, power. Money, sex, and power, right? So here's what happens, though. We'll be preaching through a book of the Bible. I'll be minding my own business. And next thing you know, I'll come upon a passage that talks about money. And remember, I don't write the letters. I deliver the mail, right? And so there it is. Now I'm going to talk about money. And the chances are pretty decent that I'm going to say, you should probably be more generous than you are. You should probably have more faith around your finances than you do. You should probably, hey, you should probably actually see if Jesus was telling the truth when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive, Right, and there I am, delivering the mail, and next thing you know, you're ticked off. Be alert, be alert. Or be rolling through the Bible, and next thing you know, boom, there's a passage on sex. Remember, I don't write the letters, I just deliver the mail. Okay, so I, I come up, and chances are I'm gonna say something about sex, it's gonna like grind your gears, and, uh, and, and now I would just say this, be alert, be alert. Or we get to a passage on power. Power, I didn't write the letter, I'm just delivering the mail, but the chances are pretty good that I'm gonna tell you that you need to leverage your power more than you do on behalf of the powerless. It's hard, man, because we were raised in this culture that's like hyper-individualistic. And it's hard because there's part of me that thinks I should leverage my power for who? For me. Be alert. Be alert, be alert. Before you get angry, before you look to divide, I would just say this, be alert. It's, and it's not always preaching through books of the Bible. Sometimes there's, there's things about the culture of Southside that are just different. So last week we had 1,309 people at church, you know? And, and, part of, and some of those 1,309, what they did is they yelled at some of our Southside kids volunteers, okay? And the reason that they yelled is because they wanted to check their child into an age of class that their child wasn't. Am I making sense? I feel like I said that kind of weird. Okay, like their four-year-old, they wanted their four-year-old to be in the nine-year-old classroom. So I would say this to you. Number one, I know something about you if you yell at Southside Kids volunteers because you can't check your kid into the proper, proper age group. I know something about you. I bet you have a church background. I bet you do. You know why I know that? Because people who don't have a church background, they probably don't think you can do that. You know what I mean? They're not gonna go to their school and go, hey, my son's five, can he be in grade 11? You know, they probably wouldn't do that. But you probably come from a church background and no disrespect at all, somewhere along the line, you've experienced a church where you can do that. But before you yell at the volunteers, before you get mad at them, I wanna tell you, it's my fault. It's my idea. you should email me. For sure, you can. I'd love to hear from you. Mike at southsidelife.com. And the reason we do it, by the way, is because we take what's going on over there incredibly seriously. Like, we don't live under the deception that real church is happening here and they're just over there doing their thing. No, no, no. Like, we take it incredibly. This church devotes more time, attention, focus, and resources on kids proportionally than any church I've heard of. 
And so a long time ago, I decided, hey, you know what? We want to present the story of Jesus to every single kid in a way that they can understand and carry with them for the rest of their lives. And we do it in a way that's directed at their specific age group. So before you get mad at them, get mad at me. That's what we decided. I'm not, say, I'm not saying it's better than doing it any other way, but it's the way that we decided to do it. Here's another one that annoys people sometimes. We have what's called a distraction-free environment. You know, the host will get up here on Sundays and say, hey, if you could like, turn your cell phone on silent. And many of you do, and some do not. Okay, if you could go to the bathroom before church, that would be amazing, you know? Even with children. We say, hey, like, if, if you wanna bring your children in here, that's so awesome. There's a specific place where we ask the, the parents with kids to sit, and it's, I call it like the, the blessing place. I look back there and get stoked. But if for whatever reason, your kid is just a little bit noisy that day, we love that. They're healthy, they're noisy, it's great. But we're probably gonna have an usher come over and say, hey, we're gonna show you a, a, another a great place to watch the service. Well, that's controversial. And I would just say this, if, if, before you yell at an usher, it's my fault. It was my idea to establish a distraction-free environment. And I wanna make it clear, I do not have anything against your cell phone. I really do not. Although I would just say this, it's just a little button on the side, just a little, you just click it over and it goes to silent, okay? Don't have anything against your bladder at all. <laughs> and I most, thank you so much. That, well, that was, I like that too, but no one else besides you laughed, so thank you very much, okay? <laughs> and I most definitely though, I don't have anything against your kids. That's just the lane we picked. Oh, and here's why, here's why. Um, one of the things I started noticing about our church is that every week, there's people who show up online and in person who have never, listen, they've never been in church before, ever. They've never heard the story of Jesus before. Every week we have people showing up who, ha who are back at church for the first time in a long, long, long time because they've reached this point in their lives that we refer to as the end of themselves. And what they really need is hope. And what they really need is peace. And what they really need is a purpose. And what they really, really, really need is they need Jesus. And so we made a decision that I want every single person who walks in here to be able to hear the message of Jesus in a really compelling and clear way, even if they're sitting behind you. Even if they're sitting in front of you. Even if they're sitting right beside you. But if that's annoying to you, I get it, I get it, I get it. You can email me. We can talk about it. Oh, one more thing. Last week, People were veering at, some people were veering at our parking attendants, trying to run them over, okay? That's not on me. You're just a jerk. Stop it, okay? <laughs> Things you never thought you'd say from the front of a church. Stop running over the parking attendants if it's not too much trouble, you know? <laughs> the funny thing is, is like, we have this thing in the North American church called church hopping, okay? Church hopping. Sometimes people change churches, that happens. I'm not talking about that. Church hopping is when people just hop from church to church to church to church to church. It's heartbreaking. Remember, because if we're gonna become ourselves, we gotta come together. Here's what I mean. Sometimes when people hop from church to church to church, you know when they hop? They hop when somebody calls out something in their false self and says to them, hey, that ain't you. Let's see the true you. 
Someone challenges them on something. And right about the time that we're about to see their true self emerge, their real story to be told, what do they do? They leave because it's annoying. Years ago, I started eating a lot, like emotional eating, loved it. Oh man, loved it so much. Cool Ranch Doritos, big one, okay? Yes, thank you, okay? All dressed chips. Fuzzy peach candies. Blizzards. And for some reason, Nanaimo squares. Just got right into Nanaimo squares. And I'm thinking to myself, just really enjoying it. Like enjoying the Cool Ranch life, right? And, and at one point... I'm thinking, I might have put on a little bit of weight. A little bit, like maybe a half a pound, maybe a pound, you know? So I walk around the house one day and Corinne says, hey Mike, the world has enough fat pastors. <laughs> so please hold me up in prayer. I have a mean wife. Here's the point. What's my response? Oh, by the way, I decided to weigh myself. 25 pounds later, okay, I realized that maybe I needed to get to work on that. But my response in that moment could have been, get mad, sulk, go back to emotional eating because she made me sad, right? <laughs> I think the North American church is full of people that are having others say to them, hey, I think the world has enough fat pastors, and they just jump. Jump, jump, jump. We want to become ourselves. We actually, may, maybe it'd be good if there was another way, but the way that we become everything we are created to be is by coming together. That's how we become ourselves. Paul also says, hey, like, keep short accounts. Don't hold grudges. The world's difficult enough. As far as it depends on you, if, an if there's an apology you need to make, make it. Because division, division, division is demonic. He goes on to say this. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith. Stop. So I want to talk to you about my one faith shared by many of the people watching online and in person here. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he lived, died, and rose again. That if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, your sins will be forgiven. Your hurts will be healed. You will experience the life that you were created to live today, tomorrow, and forever. You will tell the story you were created to tell. It all starts, the road to becoming yourself starts with him. And for many of you, for many of us, maybe even as I talk today, you realize that you've been living according to your false self. This world's hard. It's abrasive. And there's so many different ways that that plays out in our lives. For some, it's just an overwhelming sense of discontent thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than this. I've been running and running and running, and I don't feel like I'm arriving anywhere. For others, it's a sense of fear or anxiety, wondering what comes next. 
For some, it's a relational disconnect, an inability to really connect with people on a deep level. You know why? Because you're not in touch with real you. So how in the world are you going to get to know real them? For some, it's depression. For some, it's this overarching feeling of guilt and shame, feeling like you can never get past your past. I'm telling you, the journey to the story that you were created to tell, the life that you were created to live, the real you, the real you, becoming yourself starts with him. So I can't go any further today without giving the opportunity to take that step. So why don't you just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment of reflection. Is that you today? Have you come to the realization that this is your next step? Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. The move now is yours. If today is the day that you want to accept his gift that he purchased through his death and resurrection with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, can you just raise your hand right now nice and high? Because I want to pray for you right now. Amazing. If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I'd love it if you could raise your hand also. Okay, if your hands are raised, you can put them down right now. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray out loud and I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Today I, I come to you and I invite you to be my savior. Thank you that you died for me. I pray that you would forgive my sins. Give me a fresh start right now. Thank you. And Jesus, I thank you that not only did you die, but you rose again. So I pray that you would lead me into the life that I was created to live, one next step at a time in your name. And I trust you today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. So Paul ends the passage by saying one baptism, one baptism. I love that. We're baptizing now. So amazing. Baptism is an example of us coming together so we can become ourselves. So first of all, we come together. We celebrate baptism, right? Because every time someone gets baptized, what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus, I put to death my own efforts, and I'm alive, completely alive through you. And we cheer that on because we're like, that's my story too. Wow, that's crazy. I get the same story. But baptism is also becoming yourself. So I want to explain that. I'm going to be very, very open and honest with you right now. My goal for the next two minutes is to convince you if you have not yet been baptized. My goal, even if you haven't signed up, is to convince you to get baptized. See, life is a journey of moving past our false self to, become, to becoming everything I was created to be, my true self, the story I was meant to tell today, tomorrow, and forever. That's the journey. But you need to know something about Jesus. It doesn't, he doesn't grab you by the scruff of the neck and drag you to your true self. He doesn't do that. He doesn't force his way past your false self. He doesn't do that. The way that Jesus always operates is through invitation. If you look at the story of Jesus in the Gospels, his invitation was almost always the same. Follow me. Follow me. He's not going to push you. He's not going to force you. He's just going to invite you to follow 
him. And if you read through the Bible, you will see that Jesus himself got baptized. So follow him. Become yourself. See, God has a plan for you. He has a true self to emerge. And the way that that happens is we just follow him. One step, one step, one step at a time. If you haven't yet been baptized, I guarantee you this is your next step. I guarantee it. Some, some people say, well, the Bible is tricky in some parts. Yeah, sure. And then other parts, it's completely and totally clear. Believe and be baptized. So I wanna ask you, if you haven't signed up yet, you need to get baptized. That wasn't a question. I'm gonna ask you, you need to get baptized. I'm gonna ask you, would you please consider getting baptized, okay? Believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. It doesn't say be flawless and be baptized. No one flawless here, online. Definitely not on this stage. Maybe Leah, but I'm, but. <laughs> it, it doesn't say um, live the proper lifestyle and get baptized. Mm -mm. It doesn't say vote for the right political party and then you can get baptized. It doesn't say behave a certain way and you can be baptized. It doesn't say deal with every single issue that you've ever had and then you can get baptized. No, what's the step? Believe, believe, believe and be baptized. Take a step towards everything you were created to be. Corinne and I had been married for a couple years and we both had baggage from our past and the way it manifests for both of us is we were both angry. We're both angry people. We were never abusive, but we did take it out on each other. And our marriage wasn't great. I remember we were sitting in church on one particular Sunday and the pastor said, believe and be baptized. And it hit me, I had never done that. I mean, I, I had been following Jesus. I believed in Jesus, but, but I had never taken that simple step. And, and for me, it was interesting because my parents had baptized me when I was a little baby. By the way, isn't that a beautiful thing for them to have done? So beautiful. What a statement of faith. What a statement of hope. What a great thing for them to do. And in that moment when the pastor said, believe and be baptized, I knew that it was my turn now to step into that prayer, step into the faith that they had shown when I was a little baby. Believe and be baptized. So we're driving home from church that day and I said to Corinne, Corinne, I think I'm supposed to get baptized. And she said, me too. And so on the same Sunday, Corinne and I both got baptized. And actually, officially, our oldest daughter Tori did too because Corinne was pregnant with Tori at the time that she got baptized, but I digress. It's really important, you know, because our marriage radically changed from that day forward of course it did. Of course it did. Jesus doesn't drag you to the story that you were created to tell. He invites you. And I guess just on behalf of him, <laughs> I want to stand up here right now and extend that same invitation to you. If you have not yet done that, now's your day. And, and by the way, for all you have, who have signed up, I'm so proud of you, you're amazing. We're so excited to celebrate you.
But the band's gonna start to play and we're gonna start to dunk people. Depending on the life they've lived, we might hold them under for as many as four or five minutes. No, I'm completely kidding. But actually, I'm gonna be standing right here. And if you haven't signed up and you know that today is your day, just come over and talk to me. You say, well, Mike, I don't have a change of clothes. We do. I don't have deodorant. We do. I have a towel. We do. I'm really good looking and I don't have any hair gel. We do. It might be dibbity doo but you'll make do. Okay, you're handsome. It'll be fine. Um, we, oh, my, my, my family and my friends aren't here to see it. We decided to videotape this service. We do every service, but okay, just bear with me. And they're going to love celebrating with you as you send them a video and say, I took my next step. So let's do it. We're going to celebrate. I'm going to be over there. If you haven't been baptized and today is your day, let's chat. I love you guys. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.